we try to teach people in apprenticeship that we prepare you for a career in the industry, not just a job or tomorrow. Tomorrow's job may end the day after tomorrow, but our career is going to continue. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive in to this week's show. Today, first day of National Apprenticeship Week, I'm speaking with Todd Stafford, Executive Director of the Electrical Training Alliance. Todd, welcome to the show. Oh, Joanna, thank you very much for having us on today. It is an exciting week, and I'm looking forward to discussing apprenticeship. Where we can go. So, Todd, tell us about the Electrical Training Alliance. The Electrical Training Alliance was created by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers and the National Electrical Contract Association. They are the sponsors of the electrical industry's apprenticeship training program. Our name previously used to be the National Joint Apprenticeship and Training Committee, NJAPC. We changed our name in 2014 to become the Electrical Training Alliance because it's better aligned to who we really are. We're an alliance of two industries, labor and management, training partners, JAPC, 280 plus around the country, 50,000 apprentices. It's more of an alliance of a group working together and it more accurately fits who we are by calling electrical training. And so, Todd, let me make sure I understand this. So you're the Electrical Training Alliance, and what you do is you train the trainers, you develop the curriculum that electrical workers get in their apprenticeship programs, and then it's your almost 300 programs around the country that are actually recruiting and training the apprentices. That's exactly right. And we'll create all the curriculum, all the courseware that's needed for all what we refer to as inside wiring, traditional electricity, the outside alignment, the residential wiring, telecommunications technicians. We'll provide the curriculum and provide the instructors to teach them locally. And we do that through a couple of ways. We host regionals all three times a year, our National Training Institute, the instructor-led training courses for instructors, how to be a trained trainer, we refer to it. And we'll take care about a pyramid effect is how we reach up to 50,000 apprentices every year. Oh, my God. So, Todd, before we get into apprenticeship and what you're doing differently, tell us about your journey. So how did you get to become executive director of the Electrical Training Alliance? Really, I started out as an apprentice in the Baton Rouge area, Electrical Apprenticeship Training Program. Oh, so you're from the field itself. I am. I'm an apprentice from the field. I went through the apprenticeship program. And when I completed the apprenticeship, there was not a lot of work around. If you remember the late 80s, aging myself now, there was not a lot of work opportunities available. And I was still living at home with mom and dad, paying zero rent. So I went back to college, got an electrical engineering degree, but we got a state university. So um, while I was working as a journey level work, I to school and uh, obtained my degree on those lines. And then I started working in the industry as a consultant, hiring our contractors, employers, to do the work with apprentices on the job site as well. And continued that for a few years. And then the national director at the time, the previous person sitting in my seat, called me up and said, hey, I want you to come work for us. And give me the outline of what they wanted me to do. And I said, okay, I'll try it. 
I tried it for three years. I guaranteed it for your contract as far as I tried. I reached into three years. So a few events happened along the way that maybe certain this is where I needed to stay. That was pretty clear to me as well. I did for that reason. And just continue to work. I was working on training, developing courseware for our apprentices, journey level workers, so trying to train courses and trying to elevate our industry's capabilities through training. And seeing the feedback from that has been tremendously rewarding. So why I continue to do the work and I'll continue to enjoy all those successes that we have along the way as well. So it, it does help to see somebody individually succeed and not just hearing from the individual how much they succeed, but also having the, the family call you up to you the same way. Pretty rewarding. Todd, it is the first day of National Apprenticeship Week, so I think it's fitting that I'm speaking with you. Why are apprenticeships still relevant today, especially when it just feels like anybody can get a job, anybody can get hired off the street, you don't need much training, but with your apprenticeship program, it's multiple years to become a trained electrical worker. Why is that still relevant today? Well, because job opportunities are available no matter where you go. It's just that it's a job. It's not a career. We try to teach people an apprenticeship that we prepare you for a career in the industry, not just a job or tomorrow. Tomorrow's job may end the day after tomorrow, but a career is going to continue. As you learn the skill sets involved with the electrical industry or any of the building trades, you're prepared to succeed in life in, in many different avenues that you want to pursue and use that base level learning you pursue. My example, engineering world. I went through the engineering world. We have the vast majority of the employers in our apprenticeship program started out in apprenticeship. That's where they started, not in a business school, but they started in apprenticeship learning. It's a great base of learning that prepares you for, I forget how many career paths, but it's literally something in the 100 plus career pathways you can start out in the apprenticeship program and complete your career in another form of education or training or a combination of both. And apprenticeship also helps you mature. I know as a young kid growing up myself, I, I wasn't prepared for the, the rigors of what it would take to finish college. I have no doubt if I went through college first out of high school, that I would have flunked out because I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't disciplined enough. Apprenticeship helps you teach those skills as well. And the thing about uniqueness about apprenticeship, yeah, colleges can do the same thing. Community college, vocational technical schools can do the same thing. Problem is, there's no one-to-one relationship you have with anybody in those facilities or institutions that can make sure you succeed. Apprenticeship, you're paired with a journey level worker for a reason. That journeyman, a term, is a classification, not a gender. I want to make sure that's clear as well. It's a classification of knowledge and completion more than it is a gender. And then you reach that journey level status, journeyman status, you have working with that individual, they care for you. I mean, the journeyman I work with, we, we had great relationships. I mean, all of them I work with had great relationships with. They individually cared about how you were succeeding every day, checking up on you, how you're doing in your classroom, how you're doing on the job site. What is it you did not understand? What can they do to help? I even have, have one to help me buy my first car. You know, use cars on big negotiations with me. So there's a lot of different reasons why apprenticeship just benefits the individual being trained better than a traditional model because lifelong learning is involved with somebody who's been through it. Somebody's had experience to start. Todd, it also sounds like an apprenticeship program is personalized because what you're really doing is helping the apprentice kind of find what their interests are, but they're also designated learning pathways so that instead of the individual having to figure out the whole system on their own, there's a mentor and a system and a training director who's really there to say, here are the courses you need to take next, and here's what you need to do to kind of get to the next level. And if you want to become a supervisor, if you want to be a master, you know, electrician, et cetera. So it sounds like this amazing support system. But let me ask you a question. So you and I know that the trades struggle in general, the construction trades struggle with having enough people. And you are the International Brother of Electrical Workers. You know, you're trying to get 50,000 apprentices every year. 
And you've talked to me about how in the past your retention rate was in the 90, 94%, but it had dropped off. So that speaks to kind of membership issues, which we actually are seeing across the board with our other associations, not just the international unions, but everybody else, whether it's regular association. So what are you doing differently and creatively to both recruit as well as retain those apprentices since they're so valuable and you spend so much on them? Very good question. The retention issue is a concern and it is directly related to recruiting. And you said it correctly, both of them recruit and retention. We have to diversify our outreach efforts and who we're looking for to start an apprenticeship program because we have a limited number of positions available for apprenticeship. So marrying up that correct candidate to that position that's open and available is critical to whether you're going to have success four years later after that apprenticeship model when they get started. And reaching diverse populations, going outside the normal pathways of getting someone who knows our industry or familiar brother, brother, uncle, whatever it may be, mom or daughter, I mean, that's included as well in today's world, is looking at it, is somebody outside the family that I speak now today. Let's get somebody new, somebody looking for a career pathway that may not be aware of what opportunities are available through our apprenticeship program and the building trades afterwards and recruit that person. Sometimes you find somebody there that would have been overlooked in the past, not out of attention, but just by lack of uh, not knowing to recruit. Uh, now we're able to reach out and get somebody that's going to succeed in apprenticeship and save us those efforts to increase the applicant pool, which you're going to have most success in your programs. You've got to increase the application pool, the pool of applicants you choose from. Well, the greater the number of applicants you have to choose from, the more likely you are to get the right individual you marry up to the position you want. That's why expanding the pool is so key for us. And Todd, you've talked about the importance of creating a more diverse pool, just because diversity is important for the organization. And you have a grant from the Department of Labor that you're using really effectively. You said that somehow you were able to get 1,200 new apprentices that you've retained. So what was the grant for and what did you use it for? Because it's kind of interesting. It was very interesting for us, too, because we traditionally, our industry has not pursued grants for all of the private funding we do. But here is a unique opportunity offered through the Department of Labor. We can address disadvantaged populations in apprenticeship and try to get them included in the apprenticeship model and show success. We did that by actually, uh, it takes money to start an apprenticeship. You have to have clothing to start. You have to have a transportation to get to your, your place of work. Uh, the tools needed, those are expensive items that some individuals don't have. I had the opportunity to have that. I mean, I borrowed my dad's tools and store until I got paid. Sometimes it just don't happen. We was able to use a grant to pay for that. A grant to actually provide the clothing, the boots, and the tools for the individuals to start our apprenticeship program and then actually help them with being able to stipend gas, you know, for petrol to get back and forth to work or school for that go. That really helps. Uh, and our retention rate of those are still in the 90 plus percentile range of those individuals that start our apprenticeship program. Todd, that's amazing. So you're using the grant money for maybe non-traditional expenses like clothing, tools, healthcare, and I think you even said childcare. Yes, childcare is involved with some moms that or dads, single parents don't have a way to take care of childcare in the afternoons. Where traditionally most of your apprenticeship classes are held in the afternoon, evening hours, which is most of your childcare facilities are closed at that time. It's hard to find somebody open, so we was able to create a model to help out. Uh, some uh, single parents who want to try an apprenticeship program and actually have a way to help fund it, make it happen. So I think you just finished out one of the grants. And how's retention in this program? It sounds pretty spectacular. 
as I like to say, it's about 18 percentage points higher than what a normal classroom is, which is wow in the 90 plus percentile range we've been looking for, trying to reach if you have that model. It's primarily for two reasons. One, reaching individuals who want to go to work. They want an opportunity. They want an opportunity to succeed. And when we're reaching out to different populations, allows us to find people who want to succeed. That's one key. Second key is, is that the individuals, they complete this pre-apprenticeship training course, the pre-apprenticeship model referred to as, they're familiar with the classroom company familiar with the structure, they're familiar with the job site orientation, which is expected on the job. So we no longer have those apprentices dropping out of our system because it's, as we're told, it's just not what I thought it was going to be, which is the number one reason why apprentices leave our model is because they thought after a few weeks or months that this is just not what I thought it was going to be and I want to do something else, which no, no harm found, no harm no foul. There, but when that happens, we've lost the spot of somebody who would succeed. And an apprenticeship model being unique, registered apprenticeship specifically so that I can't take enough in year two to make up what I lost in year one because I don't have the X number of jobs. So I can only take an X number of apprentices. You can't take over a number to take care of it. So once you've lost that number, you've lost it continuously. Wow. Now, you've also talked about, I think you mentioned it already, the importance of mentoring and coaching. So how is that done? A couple of interesting ways when you think about it. traditionally our apprenticeship pools that become because of someone known within the family. What do they say? My son's an apprenticeship. I've used the example several times. If an issue were to come up with his participation in the classroom on the job site, then I would probably hear about it. I could address it with him individually as a father or son would do. Because he knows that you were in the trade and you have navigated all these issues. But if someone like Joanna, who has never been in the trades, runs into something, I got no one to talk to. Mom would say, you're on your own. Yeah, I got to have a big sister, big brother, somebody out there to help you do that. We're trying to encourage our local programs and giving them tools, electronic tools, as well as participating classes and exercises so they can create a mentoring program for those apprentices coming in. Uh, there's no reason why we can't have a recently graduated African-American male apprentice just graduated journey level status working with a first-year apprentice when they start. We should have it. Same thing with a female. You must be working with them. Here's what you can expect. Here's how I can help you through the industry because that's exactly what our family models have already in our industry. We have to duplicate that in a way so where somebody doesn't have a family. I have found nothing but overwhelming support and enthusiasm and wanting this to happen. Oh, well, it's really exciting. Boy, that's amazing. Now, what about changes to the curriculum and how you're providing this training? Because we know that education has changed and students have different expectations and desires. I know that just in our business, we have clients as well as within the company where we hear from people who say, the courses have to be shorter, they have to be more engaging, they have to be more video-based. So what kind of changes are you making to your curriculum to make them sticky? That's a good question as well, being stickiness, because we hear those same concerns. We're trying to speed up the process and figure out how to get somebody through the process faster because more workers are needed. I get it. My answer to that one is there's a limited amount of time. I mean, you have to have time to participate, actually actually learn how to participate in our industry. So if it doesn't work for the speeding up the process, we had to find a way to change the model in the classroom to better adapt what's needed. We use electronic software development tools today, curriculum development tools, which we're trying to replace those with learning modules in a bite-sized learning content we refer to as computer-mediated learning or computer-based instruction, the same term work for both, which will take and teach an individual now, though, those educational content, traditionally been lecture-based trained at the JVC, the video interactive tool format, which now we can free up that time to do some hands-on training skills associated with it. Uh, there's not a single class I've ever taught. I've taught a lot of them. And a lot of apprentices through our system, the, the feedback you get after every one of those classes is, I wish I had more time for hands-on training. Well, 
we're going to make it all that way. We can do every bit of it. That's what we should be doing. That's what we do things for a living. We can do the educational training through this bite-sized learning, video-based, interactive tools. There's a lot of great tools that's being used in that environment to educate before we can go train an individual because I'm a firm believer that education and training is two different things. Education prepares an individual to be trained. And so we have to teach somebody DC theory, AC theory, education. Before I can give them a set of meters and circuits, let's go take some measurements because I have to train them how to use it once I teach them the theory. And that's the difference between our educational content. Ah, interesting. So you have to do both. You have to really prepare me to then be able to get the training on the job. Correct. Because the OJT time is critical to understanding exactly why I'm pulling circuits or installing circuits or motor control centers or PLC systems based upon the theory knowledge. Now I understand why that works like it does. And Todd, OJT refers to on-the-job training, and that's super important. Yes, that's very important. You have to have, in our industry, 8,000 hours OJT. You will work four years, an apprentice will, our industry for four years, and you'll gain those work hours along the way, which is segmented in different work processes. The work process you do a segment, and we'll have to mark off those hours. You'll have to have 600 hours in, say, conduit bending, or whether cable pulling, 100 hours, you know, lighting systems, 200 hours. Whatever those different categories of work are broken down into, you'll have to be guaranteed you have to get those hours well, that's how you get exposure to everything we do in our industry. Todd, what about augmented reality and virtual reality? Are those tools you're using in your instruction? We are. We are using those tools. And um, some innovative work by local training programs we have, with, they've built VR rooms, VR created environments for the apprentices to actually have some orientation, familiarization, safety training, those type of job site specific applications you may not get access to except being somewhere on a job site. It's a great tool to use for that. We still have some limitations. There are some limitations within. There's no measurement criteria within a VR, AR worlds, which I can uh, verify each individual application used by a user at home, wherever they may be, that they follow in a process which has been documented, qualified, so we can actually make sure it's done the right way. There's a great for having one-on-one relationships and monitoring and mentoring, and a great familiarization course as well. But it's got some limitations too. But we'll continue to watch the software grow and expand to where We'll always be at the, the, the cutting edge, and I'm not saying the bleeding edge, but the cutting edge of learning how we can use new technology in our apprenticeship programs. Boy, that's really fascinating, and you make a good point. So basically what you're saying is VR is great, but you don't necessarily have the interaction with the mentor or a journeyman to tell you that it was done properly. That's correct. And part of my experience as an engineer writing software, but a lot of software writing earlier, I keep encouraging software development. Here's what we need. I want my virtual journeyman working with somebody in this world. We have that, and we, we have something. Todd, what's it like to be an electrical worker these days, and why should somebody listening to this podcast be interested or encourage somebody in their life to become an electrical worker, an electrician, for example? Well, first of all, you have to like the environment. You have to like working. You have to like physical work, and actually... I find myself a lot of times, even in today's job, when I finish up my job today, going outside and working and doing stuff just because I like doing things. And you just have to like be a doer. You just have to like working physically, getting things done. But just because you do that doesn't mean that the mental demand is not going to decrease as well. There's a lot of knowledge involved in the industry, too. And you pick up both of those assets as a young individual today and mentally prepared yourself by educational content as well as physically being prepared to do the work. As I like to say, the sky's the limit. I mean, it literally is that today. With such demand out there for construction workers in our industry, specifically electrical and controls industry and the general power distribution industry that we do, there's no shortage of work opportunities that you can see for the foreseeable future. And I've never said that about our industry before ever, because there's such a demand and growth for power distribution controls and development of 
renewable energy systems or whether it's the traditional powers, you know, telecommunications or whether the software development work and control inside smart building technologies and all the different renewable energy pathways and charging, electric vehicle charging systems. So there's a, a wide variety of opportunities available today. And apprenticeship doesn't just prepare you to exceed that career pathway of apprenticeship alone. It's a great pathway of learning from no matter where you want to go. Work within the industry, journey level work and have a great career. But over half of our contractors, they, they start out as an apprentice. Employers, that's where they start out in the industry. Our industry leaders today, President Stevenson of the IBEW, CEO Long of NECA, both started out as an apprentice. Ah, interesting. There's no limits on what you can do and start your apprenticeship program. It's the beginning. It's not an ending pathway. As I like to refer to it in Steel Churchill's lines, beginning of the end. That's what it is. It's in at the beginning. And Todd, electrical work spans so many areas, right? I think about the guy who's fixing the telephone pole outside, and we think about the guy who's wiring our house. But it is so much more than that, right? I mean, it's the grid, it's the power stations, it's the solar panels, and there's so many jobs along the way there. So it sounds like there's really something for everybody. You can be outside, inside, working on systems or doing physical work. Exactly. Those opportunities are more than what we can name here in this podcast. I can tell you that. There's too many. Uh, there's literally something like 140 different pathways that our industry apprenticeship program in the building trade started on to succeed. Uh, there's no limit. And it's just the start. It's just the beginning. As I talk about, the, you're just beginning your career by finishing up your apprenticeship program. End of the beginning kind of concept again is there. And uh, as you pursue your educational models in our industry, there, there's just find out what you like to do. I mean, there's, you'll be exposed to an apprenticeship. You'll study. you can sit in the field and figure out what areas you want to concentrate on and pursue it. There's a lot of success available. Somebody's willing to do that. So, Todd, if somebody said, gee, that sounds really interesting, how do they get started? Where do they go to even begin to see if this is something that they want to pursue? Yeah, there's a couple of places, really, though. Depending on what local area they're at, what city, what state they're in, you can go to our website, electricaltrainingalliance.org. I mean, you can look there at the bottom of the page. We've got a place located training center. You can click on that, your state. Drill down and find out where you're at, find out what application, what agency applies directly to you individually. That's one way to do it uh, directly. I've uh, got another website, Construct Your Future. Take a look there and fill out a little survey question. Hey, do you like doing these type of questions? Fill it all out, send it back to us, and we'll have somebody to contact Not just our building, right? not just the electrical trades, but all buildings. Because we want to help each individual uh, that wishes to be an apprentice how to construct their future, what's available for them to succeed. Because I know firsthand that by successful in my life, somebody started me out and pushed me in the right way to go to apprenticeship. And I want to try to help someone else do the same thing. Well, Todd, it sounds like the Electrical Training Alliance is doing amazing work and really helping so many people around the country, all ages, really achieve something amazing. So I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today in honor of National Apprenticeship Week. So thanks so much, and I hope you can come back. Joanna, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. 
please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.